message today from the book of Ephesians, I encourage you to read both chapter 4 and chapter 5 today. It's Paul's instructions, exhortations to the church. And today's pericope, or the section that we're studying today, is from chapter 4, verse 25, through chapter 5, verse 2. And it is about living in love. It's about exactly what we just saw, which is even though we can't sing together, we'll figure out how to practice on Zoom, and we'll figure out how to share the joy of that music with you. If you're interested in joining the gospel choir, there are no qualifications. Isn't that great? There are no qualifications. You don't have to know how to read music. You just need to listen to the instructions and try your best. There are people who are singing in that gospel choir who have never sung before in their lives. And they learned how to sing with this group to make a joyful noise. That is a miracle. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us how in ambiguous and fearful times, how to live together as a community. And he writes, so then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. He goes on in verse 29 to say, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with the seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, Paul continues in chapter 5, be imitators of God as beloved children. And he says this, he says, and live in love. 2,000 years ago, he said, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Good morning to everyone online and here in the sanctuary and to our worship team. Today's message is called Living in Love, kind of, I should have said, even in 2020 during a pandemic. You know, many people spend their lives in this desperate search for happiness, for pleasure, for fun. And they think that there's some secret joy out there that they're missing. There was a young man who said to his father as he was leaving home, he said, Dad, I'm looking for adventure, excitement, and beautiful women, and don't try to stop me. And his father said, who wants to stop you? I'm going with you. You know, we have to think about those things sometimes, right? It's the ironic thing about seeking this kind of pleasure is how little joy it can really bring. And today's message is about how do we live in love? How do we find joy? How do we find true happiness? Because the 2020 pandemic has added to our dilemma. 
there was a study that was done by something called the COVID Response Tracking Study. It was conducted in late May through the University of Chicago, and they're continuing to update it. And it found that Americans are unhappiest right now. They're, they're at their unhappiest than they've been in 50 years right now. Did you know that? I don't know how many of you online have seen that study, the COVID response tracking study. So during such painful times as we're living in, the idea of cultivating personal happiness might seem trivial, but it's more important now than ever before because all of the negative energy and stress about COVID, it taxes our mind, our body, and our spirit. There's a great book written by a clinical psychologist, Carla Marie Manley, called Joy from Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. She was quoted in an article about this idea of how we live rich and fulfilling and happy lives right now. But she wrote that um, because all the negative energy and stress around COVID taxes our body and mind and spirit, she says, as such... It's vital to intentionally counteract this toxic, fearful energy with a conscientious investment in creating happiness. A conscientious investment in creating happiness. And that's just about the pandemic. They weren't even talking about our current political climate, what's happening with social unrest, the economic destruction that we've seen. A conscientious investment in creating happiness. How many of you have heard of Dr. Lori Santos? Let us know online, but they might Google it online and then tell us. But raise your hand or let us know online if you've heard of Dr. Lori Santos. She is a professor of psychology at Yale who teaches what is the most popular college class in the country. It's the most popular class in all of Yale's history, and it is called the Science of Well-Being. A mere month into the pandemic, because the class was so popular, they started it offering it online through something called Coursera. It's actually free online. And almost 600,000 people had already signed up and taken the class online by the time the pandemic hit. And the latest statistic that I had is that a mere month into the pandemic, so in the first month of the pandemic, another 600,000 people from across the country had logged in to take the class online. So over 1.2 million people in the month of, by the end of the month of May were taking this 10-week class called the Science of Well-Being. Dr. Lori argues in her class for the importance of cultivating happiness for its potential health benefits alone. She's been interviewed by everyone, and I really enjoyed. She's got a great clip from the Today Show. It was a little too long to show today, but she's got a great clip on the Today Show. And she was talking about how this particular science can help us during the pandemic. She said there's evidence that positive moods can boost our immune system and can protect us from respiratory viruses. So it's not something to feel guilty about. It's actually smart strategy, like washing your hands. Now, the challenge is, because this is what Paul was trying to teach us, about how to live in love, how to live in joy and happiness and community. And the challenge is our brains are having a tough time finding ways to cope with life positively during COVID, to live with love and faith and hope and all of that. And it's because of how poorly our brains handle ambiguity. Did you know that? 
one need look no further than yesterday's online article on CNN. Again, I encourage you to read the whole thing. Look it up if someone's online and wants to find the link and post it in the comments. It's yesterday's online CNN article by Dr. Robert Sapolsky of Stanford. And he said ambiguity is very different from its cousin, risk. Did you know that? There's a difference between ambiguity and risk. And he explains it this way. Listen carefully. He said, suppose you have to choose between two doors. Pick the correct one and you win the lottery. Pick the wrong one and you're going to get badly beaten up. So lottery or physical harm. And he said, that's about calculated risk. You choose which door you're going to enter. But suppose instead that you have to choose whether to let a complete stranger decide whether you get the lottery door or the getting beaten up door. He said, that's ambiguity. He explains it very well in the article. And this difference between risk and ambiguity, it can be studied scientifically. And he's got some of those um, experiments that were conducted in the article. They're terrific for understanding this dilemma between risk, which is like taking a calculated risk and ambiguity where there is no real calculation to be had. And what's really interesting about all of this is exactly what we're seeing going on in our country right now. Because people vary dramatically in how willing they are to take a risk. Can I get an amen? Some people thrive on risk. They know how to do risk management. They know how to do charts and assess statistics and come up with plans. It's all about risk management. They're expert risk managers. And some people thrive in that kind of environment. But that's risk. So people vary dramatically in how willing they are to take risk. But the science shows that people consistently hate ambiguity. Did you know that? That consistently people hate ambiguity. Gray, the gray areas. And that's where we are as a people right now in our society and as a church. We are right smack in the middle of pandemic ambiguity. Think about it. When will a vaccine be available? Think of all the open questions we have right now. It's ambiguity. You know, I think about this that, you know, we're used to navigating medical risks. Think about how many medical risks you already know whether to navigate. Should you wear your seatbelt? There's a whole section of Nationwide Children's Hospital that's devoted to things like risk, like how much a child is protected or not from wearing a helmet on a motorcycle, on a bike, on a trampoline. Science has been done in terms of navigating these kind of life risks and medical risks. Do we smoke or not? What's the science? Should we have our children vaccinated or not? There's science. There's scientific data that we can use to make our choices. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always great at evaluating our choices and making um, or evaluating our risk and making good choices. Our brains can rationalize away risk when we think the reward is worth it. And, and teenagers are notoriously good at that, rationalizing away the risk. But as human beings... Our brains literally run amok when it comes to make to, when it comes to making decisions in the midst of ambiguity, especially in the face of an invisible, scary thingy that's lurking in the midst of all of our unanswered questions. How long does it hang in the air? Do we still have to wipe down all of our groceries? 
And the science is not offering much help sometimes for questions like that, especially questions like when will that darn vaccine be available so we can go back to normal. Which brings us to today's message about our human agency. How many of you know what that means when I talk about human agency? About our human power to find happiness and to find a life worth living right now, even in the face of ambiguity. Today's message is about our power to make choices about how we live our lives in a way that makes a difference no matter what. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was living in another impossibly ambiguous moment in history. Paul had been tasked with teaching new Christians how to live. When Jesus was no longer there in the flesh, not everybody got the resurrection thing. The world was chaotic, scary, and unsure, and the people were anxious, worried, and fearful about the future. So Paul wrote a series of letters. Who can tell me what letters are called in the Bible? Paul's letters is a word for that. Who can tell me? And I know Kate knows what that is. Let us know online. So I know we can't shout it out in the sanctuary because everyone's got masks on. But letters in the Bible are called epistles. And those letters were written to instruct new Christians and the early church on the basic elements of our faith and how to live in community. Today's lesson from the book of Ephesians is Paul's exhortation, as I said, or instructions for living in love as Jesus taught, which is as relevant today as it was then. It reminds me of one of my new very favorite sayings. When Piglet asked Winnie the Pooh, is life about the journey or the destination? Winnie the Pooh replied, neither. Life is about the company. Life is about the company. Life is about the people you are living life with. Life ultimately is how to live in love and not hate. How to live in relationship and not isolation. How to live in hope and not fear. No matter which moment of history we've been called to live in. So it is fitting that our New Testament focus today is from this book of Ephesians. It was Paul's letter to the early church at Ephesus, a church that was struggling. Scholars understand Ephesians to be the kind of instructional letter that was designed to literally make the circuit to a number of Pauline churches, to a number of the saints who were faithful, as the early Christian churches struggled to follow in the way of Jesus, to live their best lives as they came together from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life to create community. So today's particular circulating letter to the early church consists of certain life lessons that are almost like an ancient version of a TED Talk. I always like that description. It's an ancient version of a TED Talk. Paul's letter instructed the new Christians about ways to live in love and in the world and to live in unity with each other. He wrote, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, forgiving one another and live in love, he said 2,000 years ago. Live in love. Paul was teaching the new Christians about how to develop strong relationships, the kind of loving relationships that bind people together in good times and in bad. And that kind of Christian love is in short supply today. 
Yet our faith teaches us that love is the most powerful force for good that the world has ever known. Did you know that? Love is the most powerful force for good the world has ever known. Not money, not position, not military might, not politics, love. Love is the most powerful force for good. And love can conquer fear and ambiguity time and time again. No matter where you are in life right now, no matter where you are, some people are having good days right now in the pandemic. Others are still finding more bad days than good. But no matter where you are, love is the greatest reboot of all times. Have you ever had to do that with your computer? It was just fritzing out so bad you finally had to turn it off. And we turn it back on and it's called rebooting it. We can do that with our spirits, with love. We can literally reboot who and where we are right now with love. We can start over no matter where we've been or what we've done or not done, whether we're having a bad day or a good day, we can start over with love and create a new future. Just as the arc of history bends towards justice, the arc of a life bends toward goodness as we live in love over a lifetime. So Paul's exhortation or instruction 2,000 years ago to live in love is as relevant today as it was then. But the challenge is, how do we literally live in love? Because it sounds great in theory, but practically speaking, what does that mean? What does that look like? So today, to give you kind of a modern version um, of a life lesson about how to live in love, I'm going to share in a few minutes a teaching video of a TED Talk. It's the three-minute version of the longer 12-minute TED Talk for something called the Grant Study which sought to find the key to well-being and, and happiness, and it was done by Harvard. How many of you have heard of the Grant Study? Let us know online. What was surprising about the Grant Study was that the key to well-being throughout life is not as complicated as one might expect. As the director of the study said, happiness is love, full stop. Happiness is love, full stop. The 75 years and $20 million expended on the grant study points to a straightforward five-word conclusion. Happiness is love, full stop. And I thought, no wonder Paul counseled the early Christians to live in love with one another. That's why we are told to live in love. So in a moment, we'll watch this excerpt. It's just a very short three-minute clip. I know sometimes online it's a little hard to see online. Some of you don't have any trouble from your computer vantage points. Others of you may have a challenge. But know that you can just get these off YouTube. So if for any reason it's not working well for you this morning if you're online, um, you can go and fetch it from YouTube and watch it later. And again, there's a much longer version, a 12-minute TED Talk that's really, really good that I commend to you as kind of your homework. When you're thinking, how do I live in love? How do I create a life worth living in the midst of all of this stuff that we're having to deal with? Um, It's just an excellent resource. But we're going to hear from Dr. Robert Waldinger, who is the current director of the grant study, and a key question to consider as you are listening to this video. It's a key question, I think, to ask yourself, each day if you were to invest now in your future best self where would you put your time and energy 
If you were to invest now in your future best self, where would you put your time and energy? See what Dr. Waldinger has to say. What keeps us healthy and happy as we go through life? Pictures of entire lives, those pictures are almost impossible to get. The Harvard study of adult development may be the longest study of adult life that's ever been done. For 75 years, we've tracked the lives of 724 men, year after year, asking about their work, their home lives, their health. About 60 of our original 724 men are still alive, still participating in the study, most of them in their 90s. We don't just send them questionnaires. We interview them in their living rooms. We get their medical records from their doctors. We draw their blood. We scan their brains. What are the lessons that come from the tens of thousands of pages of information that we've generated? The clearest message that we get from this 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. We've learned three big lessons about relationships. The first, it turns out that people who are more socially connected to family, to friends, to community, are happier, they're physically healthier, and they live longer. And the experience of loneliness turns out to be toxic. People who are more isolated find that their health declines earlier in midlife, their brain functioning declines sooner, and they live shorter lives. So the second big lesson that we learned is that it's not just the number of friends you have, but it's the quality of your close relationships. High conflict marriages, for example, without much affection, turn out to be very bad for our health, perhaps worse than getting divorced. The people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. And the third big lesson that we learned is that good relationships don't just protect our bodies, they protect our brains. In your 80s, the people who are in relationships where they really feel they can count on the other person in times of need, those people's memories stay sharper longer. So what about you? What might leaning into relationships even look like? It might be something as simple as replacing screen time with people time, or livening up a stale relationship by doing something new together or reaching out to that family member who you haven't spoken to in years. Because those all-too-common family feuds take a terrible toll on the people who hold the grudges. I'd like to close with a quote from Mark Twain. There isn't time. So brief is life for bickerings, apologies, heartburnings, callings to account. There is only time for loving and but an instant, so to speak, for that. The good life is built with good relationships. Thank you. Let me share that Mark Twain quote with you again. There isn't time so brief as life for bickerings, apologies, heartburnings, callings to account. There is only time for loving and but an instant, so to speak, for that. A good life is built on good relationships, and there is only time to love. That is our job here at church, to help people learn how to love each other and themselves. Because learning to love your neighbor presumes that you have a healthy self-love. And some folks really are working hard to get to that point. 
And that's our job is to help people learn to love themselves and learn to love each other. Our job as the church is to help people forge soul friendships that matter. These relationships, I heard it again this week on a Zoom training call, that if someone does not have family ties that nurture them, if they have been alienated from their family because they're part of the LGBTQIA community, if they were tossed out because they were gay, if they were of a generation where they could not be out and stay safe, soul friendships have saved their lives. Friendships with people who literally became their family when there was no bloodline family that could support them. That is the life of the church, to create soul friendships that people can depend on, good relationships where it's not about being perfect, it's about being loving and learning to serve. If the pandemic has taught us nothing else, it has taught us how much our relationships matter. And I'll tear up. Someone texted me this morning. I thought it was so nice. Just out of the blue, someone texted and said, as you are preparing for worship, just wanted to let you know you're doing a good job. And they shared the Alicia Keys video. Have you seen this? Where Alicia Keys did a a video with children and artists, and and it says thank you just to everyone who's trying to make it through this pandemic. And I thought that was so kind doesn't mean that we don't disagree or rigorously discuss theology and scripture and church and all of that, but I thought that was so kind to just take that moment. And how often during this pandemic do each of us need that? And can each of us, how often can we do that for others to just let them know, we know you're trying. May not be perfect, but we know you're trying. And we have learned in this church that the most important thing are not Even though we love this building, the acoustics are fantastic. It's a fantastic space. What we have learned during this pandemic is that this is not the most important thing. The most important thing are our relationships with each other, our community, our ability to serve our community together, programs like the largest table and supporting the open shelter and being there for each other. Can I get an amen online and in the sanctuary? That is the most important thing that we have learned from all of this. May we never, ever forget that. Paul knew that 2,000 years ago. And he exhorted us, was teaching us to live in love because all the other trappings of church may fade away or be taken away. What is most important are our soul relationships with one another. They are redemptive, they are salvific, and they can make all the difference in someone's life. So to loop back where we've started to where we started in today's sermon with the question of how might we use our personal power, our human agency to live with love, to create better relationships and be happier, even in the midst of the ambiguity of this marathon of a a pandemic. Because um, we've all used that analogy of this pandemic. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But I heard it said very well during a board meeting I was uh, participated in this this week when um, the food bank um, CEO said, the challenge with this marathon is we have to run it like a sprint. So it's like we're running a marathon at a sprinter's pace. I know today we have Martin Butler here with us in the sanctuary, and um, Martin runs a local food pantry, and he can tell you that the pandemic has exponentially increased the need, 
those were the statistics we heard from the Middle Ohio Food Collective, exponentially increased the need, and a lot of that need is coming from Franklin County and where our church resides. And it's and our people who are caring for those on the margins, they cannot keep up. The need is so great. So how can we become stronger, build better relationships, be better able to serve and help as a church, even in the midst of the ambiguity of this marathon that we're running at a sprinter's pace? I have some tips for you today because this is a teaching sermon. And Paul's exhortations, Paul's lessons may not translate 2,000 years later. But I have some additional information to share that I hope will. I mentioned Dr. Lori Santos's class, The Science of Well-Being. It is available online for free. You can sign up for it, Google it, sign up, take the class. It's been taken by over a million people. Plus, Dr. Santos launched a podcast called The Happiness Lab. Anyone familiar with that podcast? It's called The Happiness Lab. If you want to listen to a podcast that's not politics, it's not division, it's not polarization, it's not people arguing with each other, but it's good information, it's called The Happiness Lab. And she interviews authors and people in this field. It's remarkable. I know even my daughter is going to be taking a class now that's offered at her college called Positive Psychology, built on the work of of, uh, Seligman way back when. So this is a developing field, but we're learning ways in which we can use our human agency and our power in the midst of any circumstance to create a life worth living. So I'm going to invite us to watch just a few minutes. This is a pre-pandemic clip. I'm a little nostalgic about the fact it's a pre-pandemic clip on a college campus because this is not what's happening at college right now. But this is a pre-pandemic video clip that summarizes Dr. Santos's course which I hope will give you some tips today for creating true happiness and fulfillment in your life, even during a pandemic. Take a listen. Happiness is this, it's, it's kind of something that everyone wants. When you ask people what they want in life, you know, people a lot of the time say they want happiness. But no one really knows what it is or how to achieve it. There's a culture of stress and people are working too hard and people aren't prioritizing the right things. And there's so many things like tugging on your attention that it's hard to find time for sleep and friends and meals and classes. And I just thought that this class would just allow me to take some distance from it and just like remind myself of how to live a good life at Yale, like as cliche as that sounds. I had no idea we were going to get as much press for the class as we got. It blindsided me as much as it blindsided everybody else. I didn't realize that this was an issue that mattered to so many people. The class has been talked about in Spanish, Portuguese, French, German, Vietnamese, Swedish, Norwegian, Dutch, Thai, Turkish, Persian, and I'm sure, oh, Croatian. It was really nice to be able to share this information with like the public. It means Yale has been this leader and it's become a global thing where students are thinking about college mental health, they're thinking about adult mental health generally. Not that this isn't something that people already know about, but I think it's that it's something important that we should all be focusing on. It's it's humbling, but also really, really cool. In the beginning of the course, we talked a lot about what won't make us happy, having a good job, having a good salary, getting good grades, having, you know, looking pretty, something like that. I'm finally finishing up this section on what really does lead to happiness. And it was really interesting to hear Professor Santos talk about how 
that's not the case and that these are misconceptions we have. I knew that the course wouldn't be some kind of a like a magic potion to become happier, but I don't think I anticipated how difficult it was going to be to implement some of the habits. I mean, it is. If you really want to put the time in for this stuff, it's hard. 30 minutes of exercise a day that actually works wonders. I was very like skeptical about that, but it actually works. Also meditation. That was the one I was just like, nah, that's definitely not going to work, but that works so well. We have a gratitude journal is one of them where you write down something you're really grateful for. It makes you step back and think about how fortunate you are. I've, that's something I found really valuable. I think all of these things just show that the, the data are correct. The results are suggesting these practices will make you happier than they really will. I hope you caught some of those recommendations and life lessons. It's almost as if instead of Paul, we have other prophets today, other teachers, people who are helping us live talking about things like 30 minutes of exercise every day. How many of you are able to get your exercise in during this pandemic or even feel like it? They talk about the importance of meditation or prayer. They encourage the young people to get off social media. That's really hard. They do exercises where they have, they're not able to access their phones for a while to see how they do. They talk about a really important spiritual practice that we know here at St. John's Works, which is keeping a gratitude journal. They teach you how to do that. We sent those out to the kids. We want to make sure our kids learn those practices, like keeping a gratitude journal, helping us to remain grateful for what we do have and where we are in our lives right now during this pandemic. And most importantly, the recommendations from the course are time with loved ones and friends, and it is a challenge right now during the pandemic, but not an insurmountable one. Even in a time of social distancing, it is not an insurmountable challenge to find a way to have time with loved ones and friends, whether through technology, distanced vis visits, good old-fashioned phone calls, whatever it might be, just reaching out to someone with a text, with a link to encourage them out of the blue. Because in the end, Happiness is love lived. That is what truly matters because there is only time to love. And if the pandemic has taught us nothing else, it has reminded us that there is only time to love. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>